Sports is the legends of college basketball. Today, we have one of the biggest Duke legends. Actually, when I read a lot about Eugene, all I hear is he was the guy that got this all started in 1977-78. Help me welcome to the show Gene Banks from the Blue Devils. How you doing, sir? I'm doing fine. Thank you for having me on your show. I feel appreciated. Thank yeah, you. I still remember to this day being nine years old watching you guys play Kentucky because I'm from Indiana, so I hate Kentucky. So you guys were just like me cheering for Indiana. It was a great game. You had guys like you, Mike Jaminski, Jim Spinarkle. Of course, Goose Gibbons goes off for like 42 points. But it's always great to have somebody on that knows what this was like really when it started because to me, March Madness started I mean, to really blow up right around you guys and then Magic and Larry the next year, and it get, just kind of took off. You want to talk a little bit about your tournament experience in 1978 because there were only 32 teams in the tournament at the time. Yeah, it was, it was quite interesting. You can even go back to 1974. Uh, just uh, ACC just had a special, uh, well, not credit to the ACC, but to Matt Brown and Greensboro Sports Council. They had the 74 team where Merlin played NC State. Remember that two teams? Yeah. They and they had Mo Howard and Lynn Elmore. They had to play this game. Uh, they were number one was number three in the country. One was number five in the country, something like that. And here it was a situation was only one of them can go to the tournament. Whoever won that game went to the tournament. Here they were fourth and fifth. So that changed the narrative of brackets because, uh, and as you know, NC State went on to win. Uh, Maryland was left out in the cold, uh, and here was one of the top teams in the country because of these rules. Flipped forward to our situation uh, with with Duke, we played, and I think Carolina. We had a great, wonderful season, Cinderella season, but we were tied with Carolina. Carolina was uh, won the regular season tournament championship, so they get to go. They're already in. You win the conference, you're already in. That's the rules. Uh, but then we also had the beginning of the ACC tournament. So what it said, what they they popped in there, they added this in there to say, well, if you guys, whoever wins the tournament can also get into the get in. So uh, Wake Forest had the great Rod Griffin and some great players and Larry Harrison. Um, and we won that tournament. Uh, Duke hadn't won. <laughs> Coach Falls used to have a joke where uh, when he went to the ACC tournament, he only wore a pack of handkerchief because they wouldn't get the first round. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, luckily, I'm, I'm thankful God has been, uh, I, I'm not somebody's going to preach. I preach. I don't even preach, but I, I believe in spirituality. God was the one that told me to go to Duke and said these things were happening. Because yeah, I, and that's the thing, Gene. You were one of the first McDonald's All-Americans with Magic Johnson, Albert King. You were the MVP to Dapper Dan. Nobody thought Gene Banks is going to Duke. You had UCLA. All the major players wanted you. Yeah. Duke was last in the ACC the year before you got there. I mean, you talk about God speaking to you. I mean – that really shocked a lot of people, and it really did put Duke basketball on the map to be able to get a recruit like yourself. Well, it was the resurrection. I, it, it shocked me. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, I I went to visit the schools, and this you know we get a chance to visit six schools. Uh, I saw Michigan on TV. I picked them to visit Notre Dame, NC State because of David Thompson, North Carolina. So you had your four, then UCLA. You had your five. So back then, you were only allowed to visit six schools to. Uh, and I had one left. My English teacher, uh, his, Bill Foster was a coach at the time. He came to my school, dropped off a brochure, a book. And in the book, it wasn't about the basketball team. It was about the landscape of the campus. <laughs> so he gave it to my high school coach. And my coach said, here, this guy, Bill Foster, came here. And he was real, Bill was well-respected up in the East Coast. And gave me his book. I'm looking through it. So I'm with my English teacher, make a long story short. He says, well, you got one more visit to go back. I said, yeah, I don't know where I'm going to go. I'll, I'll pick these big schools because I want to see how they are. Uh, and to get him off my back, I said, he says, we should go visit Duke. Mm, great institution, great academic, blah, 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 blah. He said, ta, 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 ta. So I said, you know what? I'll go visit. I'll go visit. Get off. Leave me alone. Stop. So I went. And as you well know, being number one player in the country with, along with Albert King, they're going to treat you with a lot of respect and a lot of this and that. So I enjoyed it. I liked the school. Students were from all over the world, kind of. Um, uh, it was a different feel. But make a long story short, I didn't really know where I wanted to go because I would have went to the University of Penn. Uh, you know, the Ivy League still had that ruling in. 
these are the same rooms that you know Art Heyman and guys back Charlie Scott, uh, Lou Alcindor went through. They had to play on the freshman team first. Yeah. Uh, the NCAA broke, tore that rule down, uh, stopped it. Except for the Ivy League, did not was the only conference that did not change the ruling. So I didn't want to go to to play on a freshman team when I knew I could play on varsity. That that ruled uh, them out. So make a long story short, I'm very very thankful. I, I said I was going to go there. I'm not I'm not like a Patrick Ewan or Ralph Sampson. Uh, that's big and he's an aircraft carrier. But I knew that what I had in me with I was taught by the West Coast Speed Boys, Joseph Goldenberg, the coach, how he taught us to be a winner. That I could bring that. You know, I said I'm going to come and help make them make them a national power. Mind you, it happened as soon as I got there. <laughs> so yeah, I'm thankful to God for uh, that opportunity and, and, and that experience. Yeah, and didn't that team start like three or four freshmen that year? Yeah, it was. Uh, well, it was myself and Kenny Denard. And that's another story. Uh, Jamiski was a sophomore. Uh, John Harold was a, a a sophomore. Oh yeah, and and then uh, well, Spinaco Spinaco was Spinaco was a sophomore, a junior. He was getting ready to go into his next year. So Spinaco did, but every all the rest of us were sophomores and freshmen. So we were the two freshmen, Kenny Denard and myself. And I, I never played except for my high school team. I never played basketball with so much fun than playing for that Duke team. And other players like Vince Taylor comes a year later. He was a McDonald's All American. Johnny Dawkins, and he they said to me, they said. Watching you play, we wanted to know why a guy like you were going to Duke University, number one. And I like the way you guys played. You guys had fun. So I'm very, very thankful uh, that I was able to uh, revolutionize uh, African-American players to really take interest into going to Duke University. Yeah, because really Duke didn't have their first scholarship African-American player until just like a decade before you got on campus, did they? Yeah. 65, C.B. Claiborne. He's now Dr. Claiborne. I had the opportunity for the first time this year to meet him, which was I was in awe. And uh, apparently I didn't say he was in awe of me, but uh, I know the story about him. And it's it's a great story. He's from Danville. He tells us that story uh, with Vic Bubis. And then we hired him and uh, well, gave him a scholarship. And it really wasn't a scholarship. He got a grant and aid. Yeah. So that was really interesting. And, and, and that's that's just an amazing thing. Um, that has come along, and, and I'm very, very proud of that. If nothing else, my number's not retired. Everybody gets mad about it, but that's a, that's the a situation between the AD Tom Butters and Bill Foster that had their little riff for rats. But it doesn't matter. I'm very, very thankful. If I die tomorrow, that uh, I was instrumental in making sure that African Americans uh, got a chance to look at the school and know that they compete and do well. And, and like for me, I was raised. I don't care about whether you're black or white. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah. You know, it's about uh, camaraderie and, and love and, and doing what you have to do. Well, that's the great thing about sports, though, especially when you're on a team. Nobody sees black, white or anything else. You're just a part of a team. It's one family. And from watching you guys, like in the Final Four beat Notre Dame, you guys look like you always had fun. You look like you cared about each other. And the thing that gets me on doing these legend shows, whether it's the 1988 Bengals or the 1965 Packers, all those teams will talk about that. Would you ask of, you know, I, I interviewed a couple former Packers, Jerry Kramer, and you ask him what was so special about Vince Lombardi. And he said, well, you were scared to death of him, but you loved him and you would do anything for him. And that's the same thing. Surprisingly, if you're not an Indiana basketball fan, you think Bobby Knight's nuts. But when you talk to guys that played for Indiana, that's the way they felt about him. And you've kind of, that's got to be the most important thing to me about being a successful coach is making sure your players know that you care about them more just than playing basketball or football. For sure. Well, I mean, one of the things that you got to have your MO on the team. I mean, when coach, when Bill, Bill was more of a, a whimsical uh, tactical team, but he also had uh, Lou Getz, who was his assistant coach. Yeah. Uh, I remember Lou Getz when we went to the Final Four and we we, we lost to Kentucky. We 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 came back with number one in the country. Lou Getz had went on to Richmond uh, to get a chance to be the 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 head coach of Richmond. That changed a lot of things because you got to have another guy on that staff, like an assistant coach that knows how to whim to that. Like Bobby Knight, I'm sure he had people on his staff to yeah. be able to downplay some of that stuff. So that hurt us a great deal. 
to not have that type of person. But these guys put their their mark on it. Coach K is, is definitely one of those where he kept saying when he was going through those tough times, he says, all they have to do is maintain and understand the plans, what I'm trying to do, and, 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 and embrace it. We'll be okay. And that was considered the FISC. The FISC program, that his principles were having uh, collective responsibility, trust, uh, communications, uh, just, just a lot of, this, there's five things, and Coach K can tell you that whole story, which has made his success, because he was almost out of there, as you well know. Yeah. But, but he had the, 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 the trust and the, the support of Tom Butters. Tom Butters was the main thing that kept him there. Other than that, you would never even heard about Coach K, but, but he maintained, he dug. You know, the thing about K is his resilience and maintaining. We got to remember, he was raised in military doctrine. You know, he, he'd know how to, um, how do you call, delegate. Yeah, he played at, uh, at Army for Bob Knight. I mean, yeah. so they both well, kind of came from the same background. Yep. He just, and he always said that to us. He says, I'm not Bobby Knight, but there were some times where my year with him, we were struggling. We saw somebody. Yeah. I've heard some Coach K at practice stories where they said him and Bobby Knight were way more similar than what Coach K yeah. would want you to yeah. think. <laughs> he, he kept it hidden for a while, but uh, we, we got our butts tore up one night and, whoo. We saw we saw the Bobby Knight come out of him, but he he had his own unique style and, and uh, he he was a great motivator. The only thing I have any regrets with Coach K is the fact that I didn't have another year with him. Yeah, and you like you said you revolutionized Duke basketball just by showing up on campus. You were from West Philly. Yeah, now, there's a lot of talent coming up there when you were coming up. You want to right. talk a little bit about that? Oh, awesome talent! I come from West Philadelphia. I was born and raised in South Philly, but then moved to the West Philadelphia area, but. You got to remember, in that area back, you know, you had the Wilt Chamberlains came out there, Earl Monroe, Wayne Hightowers, Chubby Cotts. Uh, I can go down a list where basketball was just prevalent. And I came up through that era as a young person playing during that era uh, where you went to different playgrounds. People wouldn't, some people in New York knows about that in L.A. But in Philadelphia, you had playgrounds all around the city where there was competition like you would not believe. Uh, constantly. So we would play four or five games in a day going here and there playing, even with having the little rec leagues. You got guys like, if you remember, Lewis Floyd that went to Drake. He yeah. was he, from Overbrook. Michael Brooks. Remember Michael Brooks? Yeah. He played, he played the Olympic team. Uh, Pooh Richardson, Hank Gathers, uh, Rashid Wallace from North Philly, from the area. Uh, it's it's It was just such a gambit. And, uh, and then also, as you watch Fran McCaffrey, if you look at Fran McCaffrey, the coach of Iowa, you would never think that he was an unbelievable ball. He was like mini pistol Pete. I would not believe that. He was amazing. And 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 Fran Did he cry and whine all the time? Huh? Did he cry and whine all the time when he played? <laughs> he had the long he had the long hair, floppy socks, but his, his ball handling skills, his game was amazing. And he would come into the come to the black neighborhoods fearlessly. And play, and he got accepted. He 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 went to learn how to play the game, and uh, his parents would be with him, and uh, sometimes at times, and the, you would never think that he was that phenomenal of a ball player. I loved playing with him. Um, Jeffrey Clark was a great player. Uh, so during that time, basketball was just just incredible. And uh, my motto was basically what for me was my advantage was I just didn't want anybody to outwork me. You know, that was the thing. You know, uh, when you played on the courts, if you lost and guys from uh, Philadelphia and New York and L.A. would tell you, you go to that court, if you lost a game, you had to sit for two an hour, two hours to get your team back out there. And you guys, where you are, experienced that as well. Yeah. So you had to bust your behind. So I learned a lot of parts of the game and diving on the floor, on the cement, cement floor and, you know because my dad was influential uh with me liking the game because i didn't like basketball so but basketball in philadelphia sunny you gotta get this the sunny hill baker league if you know know anything about yeah, the sunny hill league, which is very powerful uh they put together a a, a league for us it wasn't but it wasn't nothing like au but and we all played at temple mcgonagall hall and after us the baker league played so we had guys come down and like uh dr jay would come down and and uh, they had games after, so they had different levels 
uh, of the league, but they were teaching us about being men and being respectful in our communities and, and, and loving our parents and all that. And I, I got that nurturing. I mean, not many people have that nurturing now. And now they got AAU basketball. I think they fall short. And I'm not a big fan of AAU. No. Um, the thing I like about it, if I do like anything about it, it keeps them busy and off the streets. That's one thing. But it go it, it, it's gotten perverted and, and gotten crazy and uh, I don't I don't like it at all much in any way. But like I say, it get, at least gives them a chance to compete. Yeah, what's your take on the nil money? They didn't have it when I was there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but back when you was there, most of the coaches was paying it out except for Duke, probably. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everybody asks you, they, people I ask you that. I mean, it's even when I played in the pros. <laughs> Aren't you, aren't you uh, jealous, uh, upset about the money these guys are making? No, that was our, that was their time. Yeah, I remember, and you know history. John Havlicek and those guys of Boston before that, they some of them guys had to have second jobs. Yeah, I mean, you know? if you look at if you look back fifties and sixties, every major league baseball player, NFL player, all had second jobs. Because Unbelievable. They weren't making outrageous. The the only issue I have with the nil is I think that the NCAA shriek their responsibility to pay the players the way they should since they're the ones making billions, and they just put it off here, and now you've got a little bit of a mess from it. Because I know me and Steve Risley, we always talked about maybe just take a kid and each year, put $10,000 in an annuity. If they graduate in four years on time, no matter whether you're the 12th guy on the team or the first guy, you leave college with forty grand in your pocket. And yeah. it's a way to keep guys in there longer. I mean, but the NCAA, they don't want to have to pay it out of their own pocket. It, it, the NCAA has really made a mess of some things. I, I, I've known people when I watch the thing that has happened through the years, they've really made a mess of certain things. And they've made a lot of money off of the players through the, the decades. And now they got faced with this situation. Now they don't even know how to control or how this happens uh, with all the rules, even with the kids getting ready to leave. You got to remember, uh, one of the things I always preach, I say, well, if the kid leaves early, I would like for the kid like an Elton Brand left early and, and Zion and those guys from the Duke era, so to speak. I always said that if a kid leaves, the kid should leave back, if nothing else in his contract, that he gives back money to a contract to another kid. And not even so much a, a student athlete, but a student, uh, if they leave early. Um, the thing that's, that's really that's, that's interesting is that with the, the NIL, you got to remember, there were coaches leaving, promising kids, and then they're gone, and they wow. get a job, and they get a bigger contract or whatever. And and it's really interesting that now the kids are getting, they get pissed off. They're leaving in a, in a, on the transfer portal, and it, it's it's a big mess. And now they don't know how to control it. They really they don't, wanna... I don't think they want to control it, Gene. I think they just want to be left out of it so they can collect their billions of dollars from TV money. I mean, it's just like moving USC, UCLA on to the Big Ten. I mean, I think the way this ends up is just two or three super conferences a few years from now. Everybody's making all that money, and the mid-majors get pushed even farther down the road. It's, it's, it's really sad. Like, like Maryland's not even the ACC. Maryland has history in the ACC. I know, and they're in the Big Ten. It makes no they're, sense. I mean, what, how, how do you do it for, what, $50 million plus? Because of whether it was the Maryland's trust. Me, but there's no – the thing about – and I hope you guys in your show keep this going. I really want this. The thing about tradition and history and legacy, that's so it's 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 almost getting lost. It you is know? lost, I think. And and it, and it's you know, you remember the Big Ten, you always had that one thing that you remember Purdue and Indiana and, and ACC. I mean, it's 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 scary. It's really scary and it's sad because now all these kids are thinking nothing but commercialization. They're not looking at anything traditionally. They're not looking at uh, C.B. Claiborne at Duke. They're not looking at the the the, the players that. Uh, oh my God! I mean, you got to remember. Uh, I'm doing my history. Dean Smith. They don't even look at the history where when you talk about racism, Dean Smith, out of all the coaches in ACC, was a backer where he fought. Uh, for for the, the the workers in the cafeteria to get more higher pay, people don't know those stories. Yeah. So you're missing these stories that are so powerful. Um, that's why I have a great love to, for the knowledge of Dean Smith, and, and we have a bit of rivalry with with Carolina, but I have a great respect for them. Yeah, you can have a rivalry and still have respect. You can still be yeah. friends and be a rival, but nowadays, 
I don't know that anybody's a rival anymore, Gene, because I think most players are out for themselves. Most coaches are out for themselves. Yeah. How many coaches do we see? You know, Luke Fickle, the University of Cincinnati, he jumps to Wisconsin because, you know, more money. How are you going to blame a kid for leaving to go to a different school to give a better opportunity when the coaches do it all the time? And, I mean, the coaches have been doing this forever. And then the yeah. other thing that's sickening to me is watch a guy like Rick Pitino get another job at a major university. Yeah. Yes. I mean, come on. The, the <laughs> dude had sex at an Italian restaurant under the table, knocked a girl up, paid for her abortion, but yet yep. he's gotten yep. two more jobs since. Yep. I mean, it's what and do he, you teach people by that? These are not just jobs. You got to remember when he goes in these negotiations, he's locking a solid three or four year contract that's a little big money. You know, yep. he's not like he's, they will give him $100,000 just to coach this team. We'll give you a chance. Rick, we're giving you a chance to get your your your, your model and everything back on, on, on track. No, he's going to get a big contract. And it's that that's the sad part because there's a lot of assistant coaches out here that deserve those opportunities. But some teams are desperate. St. John's uh, needs a, a power figure. They need that attraction. And uh, they know his track record as far as uh, him putting teams against guys like him. You can bring Larry Brown in, but Larry Brown's older. And Larry tell you, he says he's he the, the the knowledge they have is excellent, but they're older. There's a different feel with these kids the way you talk to them. But the Patino thing, yeah, I mean that that's that that's things to high heaven and nothing against him. I have nothing personally against him, but this is just he knows it, so he's going to take advantage of it. Yeah. The sad thing is, you're supposed to be in charge of making young men better men. And yeah. it's hard to do that when you're showing them that guys like this get another shot. So that's my only issue with that. Yeah, but, I mean, it's 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 forward. I mean, we know it. We You can see it on the front of your faces. And the New York Times is all over the place that they know this is not proper and this is not right. But they're desperate to get. Yeah, but as soon as he wins his first game there, everybody's forgotten anything scummy yeah. he's ever done. And we just yeah. love Rick Patino, And yeah. he's going to take us to the Final Four. And. It gets sickening. I mean, Xavier with Sean Miller. Sean Miller, come on. I you mean, they, 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 blame his, they blame his assistants. Listen, you haven't seen anything yet. Let him go on a winning streak, 10-game winning streak starting out the season, and everybody's supposed to illustrate that they're going to go back into the stories. The bad part won't come out, but they'll oh, yeah. be kissing his behind and, and inhaling him as he's this, that, and the other thing. Watch and see what happens. That's what St. John's is hoping. They're hoping that he starts winning them and brings great attention to them in that way, not the other way. They already, yeah. but uh, they just need that attention. Uh, it's oof, it's it's going to be interesting. <laughs> All right, so let's talk March Madness, nineteen seventy eight. Nobody expected you guys to do anything. You enter no. the NCAA tournament, and like everybody else, whether you win a national championship or you get to the Final Four, there's always that one game where you almost blow it at the start. You guys had that against Rhode Island, a team yes. you only beat by a point. Do you remember yes. much about that game? I remember a lot about that game. <laughs> you know, we uh, they had Sly Williams. This guy was was an amazing left-handed, and we played zone. We missed we mixed up uh, man to man. He was tough to guard, I, and, and I've always had a tough time against lefties. But uh, they played strong. They played well. Um, we just had. I'm telling you, we played hard. They played hard. But we just had the luck of, of geez, the luck of the Irish. We had God's blessings. We had all that mixed up in the one. Because they had, at the last, very last part, they had three shots at the basket. And one went up, the ball went in, came back out, tapped it up, they got it back, shot it again, went, tapped it up, went up again. And then I, I think myself or Mike got and just spiked it high in the air and it went out of bounds and the time ran out. Just to think about that, that ball goes in. There is no Duke resurrection going to the, it ends right there. We had a good season, looks nice, but the storybook would have, would have stopped. But you, every team has those type of games. You'll have that one game where you're just going to be luckily and get after it. And that was our game. And, and Roll had my hats off to them. They played hard and they played well. And I think that was the last time things went well. But um, that was our that was our, our wonderful game that we need our luck game. All right, and then you make it to the Final Four in St. Louis. As an IU fan, I remember this because it confused me because you're playing at the Checker Dome in St. Louis with the Indiana University floor from Assembly yeah. Hall. You guys played Notre Dame in the first round. Notre Dame had a great team or in the first semifinal game, and you guys beat them 90-86. to 86. That was a Notre Dame with, I think, what, Kelly Trapuca, Bill Ambeer, those guys. You want to talk yep, a little bit got, about that game? Van Wilcox. Yeah, I, 
you know, the, the, it's interesting that we were on, I think we were in the same hotel staying there. And they were walking around with their, their chests out and they were talking a bunch of smack. And we weren't, we were just kids blowing bubblegum. We had, there was no fear in us, but they were just walking around just arrogant and they just were talking about, well, how much we're going to, we heard him in the background. How much we think we be, we'll spot him 15. We'll be in about 15. So, you know, we heard that. We didn't care about them. We jumped on them so fast. I think we were up by 15. Um, yeah, I know you had a big lead early for whatever. Had a big lead. Um, we were running. Um, the only thing, the reason why they came back, we had a collapse. You know, as you as you say, I, I know the FCC won't get mad, but that that little butthole got tight. <laughs> so they and they were making runs back, and, and we survived it. But um, that game itself, Digger Phelps is a show in itself, as you all know. Yeah. So, and he was pissed off at me that I chose Duke and not Notre Dame because they were top of my list. It's interesting that he was um, he cornered me a couple of times, and he said, "You know, you going to Duke?" Do you comparing Duke to Notre Dame is like comparing a Volkswagen to a Cadillac. <laughs> I don't remember Notre Dame ever winning a national championship. I don't even know if they'd been to a Final Four until 1978. Well, they, 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 you know, the thing that they had was that big game, which, which got me interested in them when yeah, they UCLA and and yeah. John Schumate was the one guy that I loved. You know, I loved watching John Schumate play, uh, and the way he played against Walton. So that got my interest. But Digger was Digger was it's a story in itself. The recruitment when I dealt with Digger, uh, he was like a, a car salesman, did not let up. He would cuss at you, and all I'm like, Whoa, this dude is unbelievable! But they and they already had a star studded group, they had Orlando Woolridge was coming off the bench. Yeah, you know, Lambert was off the bench. Bill, let's see, was it who, Bill who, Hanslick, Tracy yep. Jackson? I mean, and, that was their bench. Their bench was good enough to make the tournament. Amazing, amazing. They had a they had a star. What is it gonna do? Having me on that team, I mean, because yeah, actually, if you look at Notre Dame, they were better over the next few years and never got back to the Final Four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, it's 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 tough. Listen, it's tough get, once you get into the NCAAs, especially now. If you watch these NCAAs now, a mid-major will kill a big, big, powerful team because they cannot wait to get a PCU. Plus, players are before this port, this transfer portal. Players been going to mid majors and seeing that they're going to get on TV impression uh, and impress everybody. These mid major teams and these small teams, they are not afraid of Kentucky, Duke, Carolina. They don't care who they you definitely are. Definitely ain't afraid of Purdue, Gene. <laughs> I, 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 I still have not gotten over Purdue not getting to this Final Four and with that team they have. But yeah, they didn't make it to the second round. <laughs> wow. They lost to a team of midgets, Gene. And that's a great story about the big guy. I mean, I, I know some people that knew about him way back when. Uh, there's a story about him going, he should have went to the University of Central Florida. That's another story. But uh, it, it's, it's they had him pick as number one. and But they had some deficiencies, too. You pressure their guards. You, you, know, you yeah, lost. They got freshman guards that have issues. So, it, it, now, what I don't know, he he's definitely going to go pro. He has to. I mean, it, it, the money. I would just, assume. Uh, the money's just there. I mean, it's sad. I, I really wish players would stay longer. And I only say that because of the fact that at least get two years in because they get some type of training uh, in out of school. I know now it's different. It's all basketball. I mean, they, they come to the gym uh, and they got to do their workouts. They go out. They, it's all basketball now. But I want the kids to have some type of college experience, you know, walking around campus, eating at the cafeteria. I had that. Um, now it's just constant basketball all well, it's because it's a big money professional sport, really. Yes. If you look yeah. at it, I mean, it just is. It's just like I know I've talked to guys that played about the same time you did, and they're like, Well, we never expected nothing extra because our scholarship was worth what we were doing, but now there's so much cut money coming in. The price of the scholarship is not worth the amount of work you're putting in and the money you're bringing into the school. Because it's, it's ridiculous now. Like, like for which I think Duke raised up their, their tuition, or if I'm correct, I think it's eighty five thousand. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it's. <laughs> I know. I'll give this story because when I came back, I used coach professional football. When I came back to coach high school football a few years ago, I had one of my linemen, and we're having a signing day, and he hands me his, you know, 
the thing he's signing his letter of intent and I'm looking at it and it says $53,000. Now this is Georgetown, Kentucky. It's an NAIA school. And I looked at him and I said, that's not bad for four years. And he goes, no coach, that's a year. That's a year. And I'm like, dude, you owe me then because that's worth (laughs) (laughs) $212,000. But I couldn't believe that. I mean, when I went to Indiana state, I mean, I know what I signed that it was $7,500 for the year. I mean, that was it. So, yeah, I got more than what I needed to go there at that point. But it's ridiculous now. And we talk about the 1978 National Championship game. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about after beating Notre Dame, I think Kentucky beat Arkansas, if I remember right. And, yeah, I mean, all four teams in that were great. I think the third place game, Notre Dame beat Arkansas by two or Arkansas beat Notre Dame by two. So it was four great teams. But what was it like with Coach Foster from after winning the game on Saturday up until the game started for the national championship on Monday? Well, he, he was elated. Everybody was elated. And uh, we I mean, we wanted, and if you watch the end of the CBS thing, Kenny Denard jumps in my arms and we hug and, and that whole thing. Uh, it was it was like a, it was like a fantasy. I mean, we, we were used to winning because we had won in, uh, games after games after games, so, but it was the way we 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 came. That was a luck game because they could have came back and won that game, kind of. But um, we were just in just we were in a in, in, a, in flowing, and we didn't care. We weren't even worried about uh, the scout report in Kentucky. We didn't care. We were like kids. We know we had to go out and do what we had to do. And um, but for me, it was a little different. If you don't if you don't know the story about what my situation, um, a call came in. And uh, they had threatened my life. People don't know that, but it's one, and they and they didn't tell me about it. So they put a, a guard, a police guard, on my floor and on on the hotel, and around my parents. Didn't know, didn't understand what that was all about. But you know, gambling was a big thing back then. I, mean, I didn't get to any gambling. I'm just saying. And they threatened that. They said if he plays the game, we're going to shoot him and kill him. And Kirk Gowdy mentions this while I'm shooting the free throw. I knew nothing about it. Yeah, you know, every time I went out my room, there was an escort with myself and Kenny, whatever. I just thought that was the procedure of the NCAA. Um, but that's what was going on. So I didn't have time to really um, feel any. And I was just enjoying the moment. But uh, we, we didn't really worry about Kentucky as much. The biggest problem was what we didn't do at Kentucky. We came out blowing bubble gum, having fun, having a good time. We and played that. jumped t- you right away. Yeah, yeah, and that we played. We didn't make adjustments with, to to Goose. Goose made adjustments to us. He went to certain spots, and he started hitting those shots, and he started flowing. And we should have switched and went to a, maybe a man to man. But you got to remember, we played that two zone, two three zone was the best ever played in the country. But we had deficiencies. Bernarco was very smart, but he was slow afoot. Um, Mike had Mike was a great shot blocker, but if you bring him up, you can go past them. But he'll catch you. But then we had some guys on defense that uh, that had some deficiencies man to man wise. So that's a lot of times why we stayed in the two three, and we didn't make an adjustments to that. And Goose went everywhere, this way, that way. He shot the the, the shot one time from his behind, and it went in. So he, he had one of those games, and we didn't make adjustments. And then we came back and made a force thing come back. But we, you know, I tell you, it was it was the most fun. Um, but we realize now when we got down by 12, it's like, dudes, you know, we're grown men now. And this is for real. This is not fun anymore. And that was the first time it struck us like, this is not a game of fun. This is now business. And they're kicking our behinds. And we went into man mode and we made a, a, a chance to come back. He had to bring the, the starters back in the game. He took them out. He had to bring them back in the game. We made that last run. But, uh, that's when the realization of all this went to another level of this is ain't fun in the games anymore. And the thing that made us sad was when they beat us, they were supposed to beat us is what, what is what's said because they were at the veteran team and yeah. so forth. For us, uh, we went in the locker room. We said, we're going to go out with dignity. I told all the guys, give me a hand and we're going to go out in the chain. And we came out and we stunned the whole stadium and we held hands walking like a chain to, to the to the court and show and and our fans started saying we'll be back we'll be back so that was the most powerful time it's a great moment to go to the NCAA's the Final Four 
it's a moment that guys will never ever forget, even now. Yeah, and it's hard to get there a second time. Yes, and sir. 1979, the season did not go the way you guys were planned. Do you Ooh. think that I don't know what happened? Were the expectations just that much greater? Put more pressure, or it was Murphy's Law. Whatever can happen, happen. Lou gets left. He was the one that controlled, kept everything tight. So we didn't have that leap, that 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 supervision. Um, guys were walking around with sunglasses on. You know, they, this is the first time Duke got a lot of exposure like that. Jaminski and Spinocra had been there a year before me. So you, know, you, were, you were barely getting people coming to games, except for the students. Um, we got all this notoriety, and guys were just milking it, and, and, and we lost the innocence. We lost yeah. the innocence. A lot of attention, a lot of newspaper clippings. We we're doing commercials. Uh, it was, it was, it was crazy. I had experienced it with the high school thing, but it just, it, we just, we lost our priorities. Um, the first day of practice, uh, Bill Foster changed the starting lineup. First day of practice, John Harold, who was a transfer from North Carolina Central HBCU school, had started and led us all the whole season. And we had Bobby Bender, who had transferred from Indiana and came in they had a two good it was great with the two of them because they had two different styles what he did was i don't know if that was a promise that coach foster had with bobby bender but what he did he switched it he changed he made bobby bender the starter and john harold the reserve on the first day and yeah. first day divided our team because yeah. everybody was like oh my god what's going on? and the second team didn't like the first team and it got it got real people didn't know this it got rich i didn't pay any mind i didn't think it was that serious but it got serious uh and then uh, we, we we went through the motions we had some great moments when we had and then spinarco had to get his numbers up um and that being said that the offense changed and mike was always a good shooter um from a big jump shooter but he was shooting more and then they were, it was, it, it just, we got away from the innocence of the game and it caught up with us. It caught up with us on Black Sunday. When yeah. we had opportunity to, Carolina had to play uh, Pennsylvania and they lost. And both of those games were in Raleigh. We, both of us, we had the, the perfect route to both of us going to, I think it was the final eight. I think it was the final eight, uh, if I'm correct. And uh, Carolina loses to Pennsylvania. And we got St. John's. Kenny Denard goes the night before. Say how stupid and silly things are. He blows his ankle out, hanging out and shooting ball in King and Cameron with some football players. People don't know that story. And then Bobby Bob Bender, who had been starting, he gets an appendicitis. Those two things, it's like the spirits were got, got us back. And then you had to insert John Harold back into the starting lineup, who was out of shape. He didn't care. He was mad. And then we had to bring in Jim Sutter, who was slender. He wasn't Kenny Denard. Yeah. So St. John's beats us. So Carolina and Duke plays in Riley, North Carolina. We get knocked out. Think yeah. about this. Then we're back in the final eight. We win that game. And then Penn beats St. John's, and Penn goes to the final four to get the worst ass beating anybody's ever gotten in a final four game by Michigan State and Magic Johnson, if I remember Unbelievable. right. Unbelievable. But you look at, you know, you talk about Duke's, Duke's thing. Penn really had a great great uh, run too because the year before that they played us and we knocked them up they were up four points with two minutes going to get with the ball yeah they could have went on okay then the following year they they do that then the third year you know it's it's uh so i look at it i could have been on that pin team so you know maybe they don't get their ass whipped at 79 if you're on the team team <laughs> they'll have you to greg gray or guard greg kelser <laughs> say it again I said they would have you to Greg or guard Greg Kelser then, so everything would have worked out better because Greg yeah, yeah. Kelser was a hell of an athlete. Oh, he's he's a great great person too. I, I've talked to him several times. I, I need to keep in contact with most of these guys, which I've been very lucky to do. But great, he was he was amazing. You know, they give Magic all the accolades, but Sam Vincent uh, and and Kelser was something else, man. Oof. Well, Banks or Kelser was the difference in that '79 championship game. Yep. He played better yep. than Magic or Bird did in that game, and nobody remembers it because they just remember Magic versus Bird. Um, 1980, you guys beat Kentucky at Rupp Arena in the Sweet 16, lose to yes. Purdue. I don't know. But beating Kentucky in Rupp Arena in the Sweet 16 had to be cool as hell anyway, so right? Well, the first thing was, how did that damn happen? I mean, you know, how, how could they get a game 
in Rupp Arena like that. So well, it used to have. If you look a year later, 1981, the regional semifinals and finals, Indiana played at Assembly Hall, and then I think the last time they let teams play a regional semifinal final at home was Kentucky again in 1984 because I remember they beat Illinois in the Elite Eight by like a point, and there were some highly questionable decisions made by the officials in that game. Also, it was it was it was it was crazy. I mean, that that was. The next best, biggest rivalry between Carolina was was Kentucky and Duke, and to be able to get them and and, and beat them, knowing what happened to us way back then, didn't hold no chip on the shoulder with it. But it's a blue blood, you know. It's a blue blood held up to uh, standards, and and everybody watching, they want to see how this goes. And your credit, your credibility goes sky high when you're playing against teams like Kentucky and the respect. So definitely wanted to beat them. And then also you got to remember Vince Taylor was from. Uh, he was a McDonald's of America player on our team. He was from Lexington, Kentucky. So yeah. that was a big game for us to to win for him. So we had we had a lot of motivation to beat them. Uh, and they had, I think it was Bowie, Sam Bowie was, was on that team. Sam Bowie and Mel Turpin both were. Mel Turpin. They had the they had the twin, the first really true twin twin towers. Um, so that was that was one of those games that I, I thought I we had to win. Uh, I put all my, it doesn't matter that they had the Twin Towers or not. I, I, I went to another level where the Tinkerbell, the, the Tinkerbell legend. Yeah, what's comes- up with the Tinkerbell? How, how did you get the Tinkerbell? I mean, did you like Peter Pan peanut butter when you were little or something, Gene? No, man. <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> I tell you, my cousin, my cousin gave me the name. Um, my cousin Ted Theodore would give a lot of guys in Philadelphia the names. So they look, he was looking for a nickname for me, like Magnum Force. Uh, you know, uh, Gene the Duncan Machine. So um, he comes to my high school. Uh, he went to Island. I went to I went to uh, West Philly. He comes over to my high school. He's going to hang out with me. We have a fire drill, coincidentally. Anyway, make a long story short, we, I don't go back in when the fire drill tells us to go back in. We go downtown. We're going. We we're hooking for the rest of the day. So we go downtown. Back then in Philadelphia, you have the you have the white cars, which is the truant officers. If you get caught with them. They bring you back to school. Your parents catch you. You get in trouble. You get back then. You get whippings and get your ass whooped. Yeah. <laughs> we duck into the movie theater. We're sitting there. We're, we're hiding out. And uh, up there is this thing of Peter Pan. I'm looking. He goes, "Yeah, that's what we're gonna call you." So I'm looking up. I see. I see Captain Hook. I see uh, Peter Pan. I'm like, well, who, "What are you gonna call me?" He says, "No, nah, man." He talks like that. That's gonna be your name. I'm looking. I'm like, "What the hell?" He said, Tinkerbell. I says, you out of your damn mind. Man, <laughs> so develop a hook shot and just be I called said, Captain Hook. Damn. <laughs> Tinkerbell, he says, no, you don't understand. He's a philosopher. He said, you know, you see how she flies through the air and with all the magic. That's how you got, that's how your ups are. He said, you see the magic? That's the magic you have with people and, and how you, that's, that's who you are, Tinkerbell. I said, if you think about ever calling me that name, I will rip your head off. And I'll, you know, I'll do, you know, I, I said all this stuff. So we got a championship game two days later. My first city, I'm, I'm the sophomore on this team. Uh, I'm averaging 15 points. We're playing the, the Father Judge. It's at Temple's. It's a, it's a big game for Philadelphia. It's like the state championship. I have a great game. I have this great game. I've been playing decent. So he's been going through the stadium saying every time I shoot Tinkerbell, he's got this thing going. I hear it, but I don't hear it. So anyway. I win. I get. I get. I get. Uh, I get uh, interviewed. I'm on the front of the paper. All this whole thing. We're in the kitchen in the morning, and um, my mom is cooking. Everybody. My sister runs in with the newspaper. Mommy, mommy, look, look, front page, and it says on there on the front page, there's a new bell. There's another bell in Philadelphia, the Tinker Bell, and it's got this whole written thing out. I'm furious. I'm freaking out. I'm going, what the hell, you know? And just then, he's walking through the door because he loved to come by and eat my mom's cooking early in the morning. And I grab him by his, his, his car. I said, bring your ass here. We're walking around the corner. And I'm gripping him. He says, you couldn't give me another name like, you know, the brute or something? Da, da, da. And we're talking. I'm ripping him. And he says, you don't understand. You don't understand. So I go, and these two kids are playing. Here's the, here's the, the key of the story. These two kids are playing one-on-one out there in the court. These are courts we play. And one kid is making a move. He says, I'm going to make this move like Lewis Black Magic Lloyd. And watch that. And then the other kid goes, well, I'm going to back you in him. I'm going to do a patented step back like the Tinkerbell. 
And I was, we were arguing back and forth. And we just stopped and looked. And I looked and Teddy looked and he walked away like, like somebody dropping the mic, you know, and walked away. He looked, pointed at me and says, you see what I'm talking about? And I saw that I said, wow, that was, this was only two days. I said, that was deep. And then the, I, as I go back, he says, you got to understand something. It's a superhero thing. It's not no feminine masculine. He said, Clark Kent, Superman. Bruce Wayne, Batman. He said, Gene Banks, Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell. And I embraced it. I have this ritual I do before I go out the game. I do this Hulk sweating and screaming and howling, talking to myself. And the Tinkerbell's going to come flying. And it carried on. And, and uh, I didn't think it was going to carry on to do. But it did. Nobody calls me by my name. No one calls me by Gene. They call me Tink or Tinker, everyone. So it became a superhero. All right. 1980, Tinkerbell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 1980, you guys finished losing the Elite Eight to Purdue, I think 68 to 60, something like that. Did Coach Foster leaving surprise you guys? Yeah, I mean, him, him and, him and uh, the athletic director, uh, Tom Butters were fighting all the time about different stuff. I mean, they had arguments about them paving the uh, front of Cameron. It was all it was all mud. When it rained, it would just be muddy. Cameron looks great right now, but at one time, we would come in and you had to watch. If it rained, you had problems, you know? And they argued about different things and they just had a bloody, bloody fight constantly the whole nine yards. So we when we got wind of it, he finally had to take us out. He took Kenny out, took me out, and told us he's gonna he's gonna leave and so forth. And uh, I didn't I didn't take it a certain way. I mean, I I was trying to be a man. I said, well, that's coach. That's what the man's got to do. And you got the family and blah blah blah. That's the way I took it. Uh, coach, you got to do what you got to do. I, I respect it. But later on, my dad and other people were pissed because you know I could have left and went uh, pro earlier. And yeah. left the school. He said, That's SOB, such and such. That was the only time my dad ever said anything. And um, he said, You're supposed to stay until you left from there. Uh, blah, 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 blah. So uh, when you start thinking about it that way, I was like, Wow, that, that is kind of deep. Uh, because when he left, it was a big vacuum of a mess because they never talked to me or Kenny Denard, who were returning uh, captains, so to speak, about anything. We thought Tom Davis was coming. Kenny and I, Tom Davis, I think he was at Iowa at the time. Yeah, Dr. Tom. Dr. Tom. I don't he think he was at Iowa at the time because that would have been Lute Olsen when they went to the Final Four in 80, I think. But I think that Dr. Tom went there after Olsen left for Arizona in like 82, but I'm not sure. It was right yeah, around was, that time. That was the only thing we knew. They, they never asked us, they never talked to us. And Kenny, Kenny went on, Kenny left for spring break, went down to the Keys and was sitting out on a, a boat chilling out. I went to Philadelphia to submit the next day. And next thing I know, I look on the news and uh, the news is saying, well, Duke has a new head coach and we cannot pronounce his name. <laughs> My mom is going, son, you need to look at this. Is okay. Mike, whatever. And uh, they, because Kenny and I weren't there, they thought we were boycotting it. No, we didn't know anything about it. They never told us nothing about it. Coach K called us that night uh and asked us to come on back and, and we came back and we sat with him the very next couple of days and uh he was young looking um but we you know he was he he opened up with a with a crack about responsibilities and but he was very he, he was cracking a joke about it but he was serious about us crossing lines and being respectful as men so uh, i liked him i mean i never had anything against anybody that was of authority and didn't know what to expect but uh he, he surprised us. He surprised us in a lot of ways. All right. So after that season, I think it ended like your junior season, which was a loss at, only at Mackey in the Elite Eight at the NIT to Purdue. What were your prospects NBA-wise? Was there any place you specifically wanted to go? And specifically, were you all right with San Antonio? No. I, I You know, I never even thought about the pros. You know, I, I mean, there was some much to do after my freshman year. That was nothing serious. That. And my sophomore year, which I didn't have a really good year, uh, I think something about Indiana Pacers. I don't. I'm not sure. Uh, some people were bringing that to my attention. And then my junior year, um, I flirted with it. I played with it, 
there was some some scuttlebutt talking that you know you can go pro and and, and all these things and I looked at the prospects of it and uh, listen I was having I was enjoying college too much you know at that time NBA was was a man's game so I wasn't ready to rush into that man's yeah. game. I love college. I've enjoyed. I mean, it wasn't about college basketball, just college in general. Uh, wasn't ready to come from that. I know when Kay was about to come, they were wondering if I was going to go pro or not. And I played with that just to hook for the attention, but I was going to come back and finish my year. Um, so, uh, no, I mean, my thing was, my mom was always instilled in me. The biggest thing was you need to finish what you started, you know, and, that doesn't make sense now because the way the money is, you, you have to make the um, great decision. The Tyler Hansberry theory, I call it. You stay an extra year, your, your worth goes down kind of thing. But, yeah. you know, but uh, back then, it was all about, for me, was the, the fact that I need to finish what I started. And I always kept saying I wanted to be one of the, the most uh, talented and influential basketball players in Duke history. I wanted to do this and wanted to do that, um, and I wanted to get my degree. You know, I was the first in my family to uh, get my degree uh, and to go to college, so to speak. So uh, that was I wouldn't that wouldn't say it was pressure, but it was something that I, oof, I can just still go back and finish my final year. I can finish get my degree. So there's no pressure for me to go pro. The how I wound up with San Antonio was was the fact that I broke my wrist. Uh, my last game in the NIT, I'm, I'm, I might be going forward with that under Coach K, and I dropped from being one of the top three or four picks to 28th. And uh, the Spurs didn't have a first-round pick, but they had the first pick in the second second round. And uh, that was probably the greatest ex gift that ever happened to me. I was hurt, mad, upset, because guys that I played in the ACC, I was not say killing, but you know, I was the ACC scoring leader. I was I manned up to those guys, and I dropped, and it hurt. But it was the greatest thing for me to ever happen was to go to San Antonio. Well, number one, you didn't get stuck on the crappy team that picks first. But on top of that, San Antonio, <laughs> you have NBA legends and Artis Gilmore, yeah. George Gervin, yes. and you fall there right like 82-83. You're in the Western Conference Final at the Hemisphere yeah. Arena against the L.A. Lakers, Magic Johnson. You want to talk a little bit about that experience? Because at 83, you guys took them six games, and I think you yeah. won a game or two at L.A. too at the Forum. We, we love playing the Lakers, and the Lakers love playing us. Um, the biggest difference that they got over us, and people won't even know, it's like the Buffalo Bills. You look at the Buffalo Bills. They went to, what, the Super Bowl three years in a row? Four years in a row. Four years in a row, and don't no one gives them the respect that they had a good franchise, they had a good scouting crew, they had, they had all these – these, these people that worked around it, the infrastructure was amazing. For you to do that four years in a row is amazing. Now, you're not even held as a top organization because of the fact that you didn't win it? Okay. So the Spurs, here we are. I get drafted by them. You got to remember Mark Oberding was a player on that team who played at the University of Minnesota. So I'm coming off the bench my first year. Um, we have George Johnson who led the league in, in block, shots, shot block. Then they traded for artists. Got to remember that following year when you talk about 83, 84, I was fourth on the depth chart. The spot opens up. Okay, they trade Mark Oberding out. We get an artist, Kilmore. Now, Johnny Moore, who's leading the league in assists, over Magic as well. Iceman is leading the, the league in scoring. Then we get artist, Kilmore comes in, and we, we trade for Mike Mitchell, who was an all-star at Cleveland. Now there's a four, there's a there's a power forward spot. Now, I'm, I'm six, seven, six, eight, but I'm not power there was three guys ahead of me paul griffin kevin Rustani, and uh there was another guy that was there and stan allback is giving me crap now mike mitchell and i are the same size but that was the one time i remember uh, when we talk about kobe the mamba attitude of working hard and uh coming in early and, and working two hours and staying four hours that was that was i worked my buns off to whatever the case may be, because I was able to be able to pay with strength and power, play defense, but I also knew how to run. And when the ball went up and got out, I won that spot. That was the greatest moment of my life as far as hard work paying off. I won that spot, and I become the starter for that team. And that team, it was exciting. 
We had Artis Gilmore, as you well know. He's, you know, George had, Gervin. That's the one that gives me 26.2 points, I think, the 82-83 season. Yes. One of the yeah. greatest scorers in NBA history. Oh, you have to you have to be there to play with him to see how the stuff he did was was just amazing. Then we had A Train, and then Johnny Moore was leading the league in, in, in assists. I was leading the NBA that year in field goal, I think for like two two months. I was shooting sixty something percent. Well, I, I think that when I looked up the eighty three team, I, there was like seven guys that averaged double figures or better there because you had Gervin who was twenty six. I think Mike Mitchell was twenty. Gilmore was 20, you were yep. 16, Johnny yep. Moore was like 13 yep. point something, Dunleavy was 13 point yep. something, and yep. then you had Bill Willoughby, who averaged over 10 points a game. Yep. I yep. mean, it was a very deep team, to say the least. We were a deep team, and, and, and the thing with the Lakers was, and Pat Riley said this, I said, you know, he said, what, what was the biggest key? He said, the biggest key for us, beating you guys. Because we beat them four out of six times uh, that year, I think it was, if it was correct. Because we love playing the form. He said the biggest key was we went out and got Bob McAdoo. Yeah. Bob McAdoo was the X factor. And Bob McAdoo was the key to them beating us. Other than that, we went back and forth to Lakers and uh, had no fear of them. We we enjoyed playing against them. We had the Iceman. We had all this. But Bob McAdoo brought, took them to the championship. I yeah, and Bob McAdoo was one of the greatest scorers in NBA history up to oh, that point when he was in Buffalo and everywhere else. Wherever he went, he produced. Bob McAdoo is the epitome of one of the greatest players that should be known as one of the greatest players ever. Artis Gilmore also, I don't think he gets the credit he deserves either. No, no, he doesn't get it. But Bob, Bob was, you know, for me, the thing that's, I moved on, but the thing that I think about more than anything else, and, and I, I cuss the guys out. I'm a young guy. I said, we got this damn opportunity, and we're getting away from our game. Uh, when they just we they they about ready to knock us out. They're knocking us out from the from the go, going into the championship, and I was pissed. And artists had to grab me and lift me up and to calm me down. I says, you know, guys, this is these opportunities don't come all the time. They don't happen all the time. So we got to nail down. And that's what the that's what the Lakers were. They knew how. The regular season was regular season. The playoffs is a whole different world. It's like well, the they also had Magic and Kareem, which doesn't hurt. Oh, there's no doubt about it. So it was, it was, we were able to match up with them, so to speak. And you know, those are those are glad. You know, these are gladiator type situations. But um, Kareem is just just amazing. Magic, I love Magic since high school. We played together. He's the one that helped me win my first the the first McDonald's All American uh, uh, trophy. It was Magic said, "Come on, Tinker Bell, let's fly." So uh, I love Magic since then. So uh, who who doesn't like love a guy like him? But uh, that team was was amazing team, and and it's just like when I was at Duke, there was a breakup the following year. We all we had to do was make some additions and add some here, and next thing a coach does this, and uh, it's always that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen to NCAA's. You know, these guys, some of these teams are going to happen. Players are going to leave, which they can do now. All right, poop. If I'm Purdue, I'm grabbing some kids from the per transfer portal to, to, to fix my, my pieces to it. But kids are going to leave. They're going to be gone. Kentucky kids are going to leave. So these kids can go any which way. The game has gotten so it's, – it's, it's scary to see how it is. Yeah. And it's probably not going to get any better. It's only going to get worse as we go. I mean, that's basically society in general just continues to get worse, Gene. But if you read the Bible, you'll realize that's yeah. the way the plan works. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, listen, I, I, I've been, I've been doing, I've been doing scripture readings with George Iceman recently. Yeah. I into it very, and it all, it's all about just reading scriptures to learn about what's happening in this, in this life. I'm not trying to pick any type of. I was raised Pentecostal and so forth, but. I'm not here to, to to bash anybody over the head and enforce anything. My thing is, I have a I have a love for God. I have a love for God, and, and He's steered my life. I Many I don't know what He's done for everybody else, but and and I also have a love for the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. But I also know that a lot of churches now are they It's like they're praying to Jesus, then they're more praying to God, and it's more also in the black realm of churches and that's not what it is and jesus will tell you no don't praise me praise our father praise our father not me 
So I'm learning, I'm trying to learn deeper more of that and I have within my spirit is that it's about loving and giving your love and your, your will to God. And, and you know that his son, yes, you love his son, Jesus Christ. I love Jesus Christ too, but I also know that we're in places and people are just, even in basketball, people are just taking it whatever way, like you say, life is it's, it's just... People so have lost their way. People tend to read the Bible now and try to pick out the things that work for them and leave out the things that don't. I mean, it's just the way it is. You see it all the time. And it's real simple. You know, do unto others as you have people do unto you. Get up in the morning, say a nice meditation prayer. I mean, these are little things that are just, that's that's all I, I learned to read the scriptures on. You know, basically like my neighbor. I don't give a crap if my neighbor is green, purple, whatever. I'm going to treat my neighbor and help them out, whatever. And I and I have a really tendency about older elderly people, and I don't care what color they are. When you treat elderly people wrong, I'm going to stand up and take a bullet for them because they've lived their life. Yeah. You know? And uh, and you, you cannot mistreat them, them and kids. So that's what I, that's what my scripture reading with ice is to be stronger and learning how to read the scriptures and what they mean to it, and not just use them to distract for my own personal agendas or thinking. Yeah, which is what most people pervert the word of God anymore, yep. if you know what yep. I mean. And yep. I mean, I mean, either a Christian or you're not. I don't care what yep. denomination. I don't know. In the Bible, I don't see a lot about Methodist or any religion. Thank it's you. supposed to be about Thank God. It's supposed to Thank be about the scripture and God's word. Yes. And everybody gets away from that. And it's an Please, absolute joke. <laughs> well, I, I can tell you this. I coached football for like 25 years. The last five or six of the 25 I coached arena football, won a bunch of games, thought real great about myself. In 2013, we lost a championship game in front of a packed house on TV. And I'm in there, and my team pastor walks up to me, and he pats me on the back. He says, you know the good thing about this, coach? I said, what's that? He said, when you get to heaven, God's not going to ask you why you lost this game. That's not going to matter at all. So then my kids were getting to the point where they could go to high school. I want to coach my kids. And I found a Christian homeschool football team. I went, I volunteered to help coach. Both my boys played so for four years. Whether they wanted to or not, they heard the word of God. They had to give devotions. And I think even people that are just in the proximity of God's word, eventually some of that's going to kick in with them. And I decided instead of, you know, going out and making really good money coaching football, I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to coach for free because that's what God would want me to do. That's where I've been ever since. And I mean, this thing is, I grew up, I believed in God. We didn't go to church. We didn't read the Bible that much. And I think my dad, he grew up in like the 40s and 50s. And when he was nine years old and he used to go to church, they, him and his family were really poor. They had like seven brothers and sisters, a single mom. And they he went to church one time with no shoes because he didn't have enough money to get shoes. And the other ones had fallen apart. And the people at the church made fun of him. Mm. That was the last time he went to church. And I think there's way too many. It's just like, if you got to come up and tell me you're a Christian, you know, I should be able to tell that by your actions, yep. not yep. by your words. Right. That's yeah, right. and, and that's my issue. Maybe we could just have the sports gospel hour from now on once a week with Gene and Mike if you want. But <laughs> if it upsets people, that's tough because that's just the way I am. And you're the way you are. And if everybody was like that, I think this would be a much better world, Gene. It's all about it's all about your actions. I mean, your heart. God knows your heart. And 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 you shine actions of how you treat people and how you represent you ain't got to act a fool and, and all these things just little things the simplest little things which will mean so much and people see that they see that come out of your spirit so i'll never do just the yap 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 i just do what i can do for my heart and, and god will he will bless me um i don't crave for the blessings but i just do what i need to do and i just say god looks back and just says he pats me on my back and uh, because if it wasn't for him, through what my experiences I've, I've gone through, that you don't even know about, I lost my wife to multiple sclerosis. I lost a son uh, through a, a, an artery. It's, uh, uh, so I've, I've had some highs and I've had some lows. Hey, Gene, isn't that why we're supposed to be nice to everybody? Because everybody has something happen yes. that you generally don't know about. It was horrible to them. Yeah. And yeah. everybody has it and everybody reacts to it differently. 
So why are you going to go around being mean to everybody? I mean, yeah. this guy might be mad and honking at you because something bad just happened in his life yep. and he's yep. frustrated. And most people that act that way are frustrated. Yep. And they're frustrated because they're missing something in their life. I can tell everybody what that is, or you can just listen to our last five minutes. You'll know what I would say. <laughs> Amen. 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 But hey, Gene, I, it, was, it's, it's Gene it, it was absolutely great to have you on. We are running towards the end of the broadcast because it only goes like an hour and 10 minutes at most. No but doubt. I know me and Steve Risley won a 1981 national championship of IU. We're going to do a final four preview show next week. So we're definitely going to invite you on and we can all complain about how our teams aren't there, but we can talk about the four teams that are, make some predictions. If you're up for that, we would love to have you. We'll have some fun. God, God has, God has brought us together just to, you know, what is interesting. And I know we got God's brought us together just to talk about that, but also to talk about sharing his goodness that what he's done to us just to, so somebody amongst hear this, that might be crossed we're not trying to bring anybody or save souls, anything like that. Just to hear us talk about God and sports is beautiful. Yes, it is, Gene. But we are going to go ahead. We're going to wrap it up. I want you guys to go on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter at Grueling Truth. Like, subscribe, hit the bell notification on YouTube. So we're getting near 80,000 subscribers on YouTube. So make sure you go there. Click that. Yeah. Yes. We've got 152,000 followers on Facebook on our page there. Make sure you check that out. We've got a ton of shows going all week. Of course, we'll have a Final Four show with me, Steve, and Gene next week sometimes. So make sure you keep an eye out for that. I and want to thank about to forget to go on my, They can go on my website and see some great pictures at www.genebankslegend.com. See, you got to let me know before the show, or I would have just asked you about it. It would have been easier. For that. <laughs> what was that again now? GeneBanks.com. All right, www.genebankslegend.com. Make sure you check that out. But we're going to go ahead. We're going to wrap it up, guys. So for Gene Banks, I'm Mike Goodpastor. You've been watching and listening to The Grueling Truth, where the legend.